Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. It's Mike. What you're about to hear is part two of my interview with Jack Ward about pussy willows and cattails. Hope you enjoyed the first part. If you haven't listened to it yet, I hope you'll give it a listen. And I hope you enjoy this one. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? So the song was from the Did She Mention My Name album. This was Gordon's third studio album. He was still with United Artists at that time. He recorded it in December of 67, which is another reason why you have this intimacy, because it's freezing outside. So the studio probably had that feel to it also. And it was released one month later in January of 68. It was the eighth song on the album. It was the second song on side B, so it's buried way down in this. It was clearly not released as a single, and I think in late 67, 68, it would never have made the charts. So it was very smart of UA not to release it. But the record itself did, I believe this is the first of Lightfoot's albums that actually made the charts. The first two had not dented the charts from what I could tell. This one went to number 21 on the Canadian charts. It did not chart in the US or the UK or Australia or New Zealand, but it was the first time that he'd actually dented the charts and it was incredibly well-reviewed. This particular track had Gordon and Red Shea. John Stockfish was listed as the bass player, although I haven't really listened to see what presence the bass had in this song. But the real star of this track has to be John Simon, who produced the album, but also did the arrangements for all the orchestral instruments. We'll probably never know who the individual artists were who played the oboe or the bassoon or the cello or things like this. What we do know is that John Simon had worked on things like Red Rubber Ball by The Circle, another Paul Simon song, and Romeo's Tomb by Steve Forbert and a whole bunch of other things. So he clearly knew what he was doing when it came to music. That is my favorite aspect of the song is the woodwind instruments that Simon put into the arrangement. What was your favorite musical aspect? You're right about the music. My sister played flute and she would play along with that too. And that just elevates the aspect of its timelessness. I love the resolution. I've seen it playing in G minor. I play it in E minor. But that third line where catbirds and cornfields daydreams together, reveling, disheveling, the summer nights can bring that note alone is just miraculous. It just builds you up that particular note. And for me, I almost wait for it in every single verse Mm because I know it's coming because 
it's all done in a minor chord throughout the whole thing. So that minor brings you this sense of thoughtfulness, maybe a little bit of loss from the past, mm -hmm. very sentimental, but not in a very happy way necessarily, right? But then it, he brings it around to go to, oh no, this is wonderful. It's a major chord, I think. Yes. I haven't gotten my guitar out and played this, but yep. it's a perfect, the first break of dawn over the mountains. Yes. You know, it's just exactly a nice little beam yeah. of light. I can just see Gordon trying to figure out saying, okay, well, how, what am I going to do here? How am I going to do this? And then he's messing around with the chords and think, that's it. That's the one I want. And the word he uses, two of the times he uses the word spring at the very beginning and the very end. And the other ones he uses bring. So it's this bringing around, right? Back to spring. Noticing it's like we are renewing all of this stuff all over again for that same reason. Mm -hmm. It's different than than uh, Paul Simon's song, um, April Come She Will, where it's it's a song about loss of love of summertime. For yeah. him, it's the love of the seasons, knowing that once again, no matter how dark things go, we're going to start all over again. It's going to be wonderful. It could stand as a poem. Obviously, it's more beautiful with the music and especially more beautiful with this arrangement. But you could publish this as a poem and you being an English teacher and me being raised by an English teacher, we can appreciate this, that you could give this and put it in a book of poems and it would be just as beautiful. Absolutely. More subdued, but it would just be sure. just as beautiful. Lightfoot played this song 27 times in concert from what I can tell. The very first time was in Elmira, Ontario. I have no idea where that is. That's but... closer to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Elmira is probably about 20, 25 miles at the most. Okay. From my okay. And he played it at the high school there. And it was four months after Did She Mention My Name was released. So clearly he was still out promoting the album. And then the most recent time was at the Mariposa Folk Festival in July of 2000. And then he packed it in and did not play it again. Wow. And my sense of it is that from 2000 onward, he did have a number of health issues yeah. from time to time. And as you said, to do this in its original key really takes some flexible vocal cords, which he just may not have felt he had any longer. And I don't know how the Bell's palsy, that, did, that was back in the 80s or something, wasn't it? That he had a a strike of Bell's palsy at one Seem point. to remember it was the 70s, but it might have Seven, been. Might, yeah, one of the two. Even though you, that passes, how as you get age, that could still cause more issues as time goes by. You never know how that can cause a problem too. So yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't know and we'll never know why he stopped singing it. This is just my hypothesis right. as we're sitting here on a Saturday afternoon. There have been a number of covers, there were 13 official covers that I could find, the most popular of which was by Kenny Rankin, but it was also done by John Arpham, Jean-Guy Barkon, Neil Chodham, Laurie Cullen, Pat Hervey, the Laurie Bauer singers, and I think that might have been one of the choral arrangements that you mentioned, Claudine Longette, Barbara Madison, the Mariposa Reeds, Perry Novak and Bob Volkman, Jack Semple, and Robin Wakefield. None of those people are Taylor Swift. I mean, they're, I don't want to say obscure, but they're certainly right. not people who are on the front page of Entertainment Weekly or, you right. know, something like that. So I'm wondering if, how many of those, if any, have you heard and did any of them resonate with you? 
it's funny. The ones I've only heard are local people or I've gone to coffee shops or that. I heard a beautiful version online. I was just on YouTube where a woman was doing it strictly with a harp. It's just a beautiful rendition of the harp. And again, that, that almost brings in that choir aspect of the church. I might have heard some of the versions that you mentioned. I wouldn't have remembered the name at the time, but it's fascinating. I always slowed it down when I performed it. And so when I went back to listen to it again and realized, oh, no, he's paying it faster than yeah. I normally perform it myself. And I'm like, that's an interesting aspect as well. Just the speed of the song says an awful lot of the hopefulness that he has of this, this aspect of enjoying every aspect of it. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jack Ward about Pussy Willows and Cattails. But first, a word from podcast partner or two. Is that song really a cover? What instrument are they playing there? What do those crazy lyrics mean? If you're the kind of person who thinks about stuff like that, you're in luck because I've got just the podcast for you. How Good It Is chooses a single song each episode and takes a dive into the story behind the song and the artist who made it famous. I'm Claude Call. You can find me in your favorite podcast software or just point your browser to howgooditis.com. How good it is. Hello, I'm JT, a lifelong student of the paranormal and the unexplained. I've spent over 35 years researching and learning about a wide range of subjects, from UFOs and cryptids to ghosts and the supernatural, from hidden and lost treasures to mankind's mysterious past, and all other things mysterious and Fortean. Each week, I'll bring you some relevant and interesting articles in this genre, as well as a different topic, some you may be familiar with, but many you most likely will never have known existed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. And let me be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained on the paranormal sun. Yeah, and he's clearly enjoying being in the center of it. I like the pacing that it had. It, obviously, it's not something that should be played fast. And I think he probably had to work on it to know sort of a muscle memory. Okay, how fast am I going to do this? It's in a 3-4 time. So that's going to make you think about it a little bit differently than if it was in 4-4. So he'd have to really work on the pacing of this. There's only one person that I could think of that I would love to have heard do this and who could potentially still do, I guess. I think Peter Gabriel might be oh, able to do an okay job with that this. Would be amazing. What a choice. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. I love it. But I couldn't think of anybody else. And Peter Gabriel's not a top 40 guy anymore, but. When I think of the people who are really popular today, and I'm thinking about male vocalists, and I'm thinking about people who would be in the folk and country realm, nobody came to mind, you know, about yeah. who I would really like to hear this. So Peter Gabriel is the only one that really jumped out. Is there anybody that you had thought of that, you know, I'd kind of like to see this person take a shot at it? That would be so interesting to think about who would be really good to do that. Because when you said Peter Gabriel... The thought that it came to my head is like, oh my God, what would Tom Waits do with this song? <laughs> Can you oh, no, imagine no, how no, he would just no. totally, it wouldn't be unrecognizable, right? <laughs> if Tom Waits did it. Well, not only that, but uh, I mean, any feeling of it would have been exactly, destroyed. Uh, I mean, it, it would, would be, be like be like Dylan doing Wild Horses. It would be a dirge. You know what I mean? Like it would totally change the whole aspect of that. So Joni Mitchell in her day, would have probably done a really beautiful version of it as well. 
there's something about women singing classic folk songs that add a really interesting dimension to the stuff. I heard some, I forget who it was, but somebody was doing one of the classic Neil Young songs. You know, I dreamed of a silver face ship. Oh, uh, after the gold rush? After the gold rush. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that was just amazing, right? So whoever it is, they have to sort of lift it up, right? Because this is a song that needs to be lifted up in that way. That's why I laughed when I thought of Tom Waits, because, oh, my God, you do the exact opposite of that, right? <laughs> it would just not work at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe we should be, yeah, maybe I should do an episode of people we don't want. Singing yeah. Yeah. For sure. Songs. Right. <clears throat> kind of like Jennifer Warren's did such a good job with Famous Raincoat. You know, it was like the first album that actually took somebody's works like Leonard Cohen and did it through their gaze. And it worked really well. You would really have to have somebody who understands deeply what Gordon's trying to say in this song. You know, as I think about it, I'm running through the female Canadian singers. And I'm saying Canadian because I think there's, again, a certain resonance that there might not be with somebody who's American or British. I can't hear Anne Murray doing it. No. I can't hear Sarah McLaughlin doing it. But I can hear Linda Ronstadt. Yeah although she's not uh, from Canada, but right. I could see her doing it because I think she had the sensitivity to it. Of course, now, you know, she's not able to sing anymore, but yeah. I think she might've done that, but I can't really hear too many other, I, that's something where I'd really have to think about it. Could a woman, and if so, who could really knock this out of the park? I'd have to think about it. I'm not saying that there isn't, I'm not saying it couldn't be done. Eva Cassidy, check her out. Of all people that would come, of female singers, I think she could have done a really good job with that. Okay, so. Eva Cassidy. All right, yeah. good. Judy Collins might have been able to do this too in her Judy her, Collins her prime. in her day. Yeah. So, Jack, as we're sort of winding up here, you have any other closing thoughts on Pussy Willow's Cattails? And then I had a couple of questions for you, not directly related to the song, before we drive this mighty Wurlitzer into the night. I just I wanted to find more. From him himself to talk about his process in something like this, because it's mesmerizing as an mm -hmm. artist. You wonder how much editing he did, how much the words came to him, the words themselves. He uses very strong adjectives, very strong verbs, and that's what paints the pictures extremely well. And so I wish I had those conversations. These are things that I that I wish I could have had and I, I questions I would have had to have there are people I wish I could have interviewed in my job as a podcaster that I will never get a chance to do. That would have been one of them as a writer himself. And those things you have to almost have like a sit down drink with before you ever pull those things out, because they're the one level beyond that first aspect. One of the great things yeah. about podcasting, I think you understand, I you agree, is that the long form conversation brings you to much better levels. Yes, although it does mean that you still have to be sensitive to your audience and realize that people's attention spans have only gotten worse. But it does lend itself to having a more lengthy conversation than you could even on a regular radio show, and especially on television, because then it's broken up in so many different ways and there's such a demand for time. But yeah, I agree with you on the podcasting aspect, which brings me to. Where were you and what were you doing when you found out that Gordon had passed away? 
um, goodness, I was in my classroom and I actually, a student told me because I had performed, I think the Edmund Fitzgerald for one of my English classes. And I forget the day, the actual day now, but they came in and they said, do you know he's passed away? And um, it's hard when you hear stuff like that as a teacher, because you don't want to give away too much of your actual reaction because everybody's watching you, right? I had to take a moment. I really did. I, I got them to do their reading. It was the beginning of class. So they got to do their reading. I had to step out in the hall and just sort of compose myself because yeah. everything has an ending. All books end at some point, but you never want to end certain books. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want to yeah. keep reading them. You want the next chapter to happen. When we see the people that our generation grew up with getting on in years and 2023 has been just awful in terms yeah. of the losses that we've had in the music world. It's sobering because you realize that although these people have shaped our lives and they've guided us and they've gotten us through terrible times, you know, at some point they have to move on just yeah. like the rest of us do. So it's a bit like losing a mentor. And that's, I think, how a lot of people who listen to this show probably felt when he died in May. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jack Ward about Pussy Willows and Cattails. But first, a word from a podcast partner or two. Hey, do you like classic albums? Technically, like, you know, the 20th century albums. Um, such as, like, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones. I've only had Beatles episodes so far, however, I'll be doing more. But, welcome to my show, or rather, hey, welcome to, check out my show. <laughs> um, all those years ago, a classic album podcast with the dipping sauce. Um, as you can see, the Harry George Harrison reference. Um, I review classic albums. Um... Not of those, the likes of Beethoven, the likes of the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, or what have you. <laughs> um, so yeah, check it out. It's every Monday. Um, and I do albums, conspiracies, songs, all that jazz. So just check it out. All those years ago, a classic album podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> some recommendations from our old favorites, plus surprise call-ins from authors to talk about the works that they're writing, original music, prize giveaways, and more. That's Books Boys on BooksBoys.com and all good podcatchers. Books Boys. Get it. Buy it. Books. So now let's focus on you a little bit. And if you could say just a little bit about the Mutual Audio Network and what that is, how it came to be and what it's up to these days. And full disclosure, I have a podcast that is on that network. So and we, you know, and we love that. 
20 years ago or more, a friend of mine said that a buddy of his had an internet radio station. And he knew that I loved, Ken has a long tradition of radio drama. And he said, why don't you write a radio drama? And I said, I'll write a series because I always think too much. I don't think small. So I wrote a bunch of shows and then his internet radio station fell apart and we never put them on the air. And I said, huh, I kind of enjoyed doing that. So I went to a local radio station, a university radio station, CKDU, and pitched them the idea of doing a radio show. And that turned into the Sonic Society, which was our weekly showcase of modern audio drama. 20th season will begin next year in the fall. So we've been at this since almost the very beginning of the modern audio drama craze. So I've been writing that long. I have a podcast called The Sonic Cinema Productions, which is all my own original stuff alone. So if you ever want to listen to only my stuff, it's on Sonic Cinema Productions. But then about five years coming up now in March, I won't say the person's name, but I've been trying to get into CBC Radio, which is sort of Canada's version of the BBC, right. and uh, to put audio drama back on the map. And people said, no, nobody's interested. No, we don't have the money, blah, 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 blah. And so I, I fought for years to do that. And then I interviewed a guy and he's, he's got a show. And he said, you know, never really knew what an audio drama was like three months ago, but my uncle's in the CBC. He said, try this. This is this is heartbreaking because I did how many walls I went to so many different stations and yeah. it was just who they knew. So I said, I'm not waiting for the CBC anymore. I want to do a, a network. So I asked a bunch of my friends uh, who are great in the audio drama world. We have about a dozen people that run the whole place and we drop shows every single day, usually three shows a day. Sundays might be a little different, but every day is a different theme. We have Tuesday Terrors, All Horror, Wednesday Wonders, uh, award-winning science fiction fantasy. Thursday thrillers, mystery, action adventure, Friday follies, comedy, Saturday story circle, all kids stuff. And Sunday showcase is all the original new stuff that has come out. And that's where the Sonic Society now resides every single year. So I call it mutual because so many of my favorite old time radio shows came from the mutual broadcasting system. And they don't exist anymore, right? So Mm -hmm. Superman... The Shadow, there's just a ton of different shows that started off in Mutual. So I thought, I love the idea of Mutual. So I just called it the Mutual Audio Network, and we've been running it ever since. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've been hard working at trying to reinvite this. So you can't go to the website because the website's been down forever because I've been doing things. But I plan to get it back up again and rolling in a really good creative way so people can be involved if you have an idea and you want producers, if you want to write, if you want to act, I want to have a spot where people can create their own little profile and then people can see it and go, oh, geez, you know what? That Mike Messner guy, I would love to have him for this project. That would be fantastic. And then- Yeah, are you listening, listeners? Okay, yeah, Mike (laughs) Messner would be a- (laughs) Again, the idea is that more is better. And again, I always tell people, if we, if the Sonic Society, the biggest criticisms that people have is like, well, I don't like everything that's on there. I don't care. I don't like everything that gets on there, but I want to share everything that's on there because the stuff I like, you may not like, and the stuff you not like, somebody else may like. It is the place for audio people to come, to grow, to explore, to enjoy. So we have such a great wide variety and we have amazing stuff like Mike's show, I want to point out, (laughs) and other great shows that are on there as well. I talk about the Sonic Society specifically. It's like, if you don't like one episode, come back to the next one. Like just, they're easy to skip and delete. No harm, no foul. 
but you will find some amazing stuff. You'll also find some stuff that you can't find anywhere because I consider this we're in the fourth age of modern audio drama right now. The golden age folks, people who started when I started, many of them have pod faded. And I went to them and I said, can I please use your shows to put them on? Because I want other people. I want new listeners. And for example, we were just lucky enough just recently to get agreements from Broken Sea Audio. And so a lot of us stuff from Bill Holweg, who I consider to be the John Carpenter of audio drama, and he's been passed now for five, six years. We get to play his stuff and fall in love all over again with a lot of these great shows. That's fantastic. And it really is such a huge part of the English-speaking culture. And I'm not as familiar with the Canadian side of it, but it is the theater of the mind. And it's such an important part of the heritage that we have to have people like yourself who are continuing to do it and are finding so much of it and making it possible for people to, to hear it is just amazing. And it's a blessing, especially to those of us who make it to continue to do it. So uh, shameless plug, Mike Messner's show is called In the President's Service. And I got two seasons of that out on Mutual right now. And, and I'm waiting for the third. I'm waiting for the third. And I'll be I'm getting... i <laughs> Oh, bless you. I'll be doing the third one, my friends and I, in uh, The Long Highway Players. We'll be doing that this winter, and hopefully we'll get that released early in this summer. Well, Jack awesome. Ward, this has been so much fun. We've been talking about it for months, and this is just the beginning of what will be, I know, a series of other conversations about audio drama and music and teaching and all kinds of things. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Mike. I, I hope to, I can have you as, an, as a guest on my show, too, just to talk about your show. That would be amazing. Well, I'd love to do it. We'll plan on that. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your listening matter. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much and I want to keep it going, and you're in a position to help. Please head over to www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Well, our next episode will feature my guest, Adele Shalifu. She will be making her third appearance on the podcast, and she will be discussing Waiting for You from the 1993 album of the same name. And that episode will be coming out in early January 2024. Until then, for Jack Ward, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time.